morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Hope, and it really is just a joy and privilege to have each of you here with us this morning. Um, just a few moments, we're going to turn into the book of Colossians, but just a couple of announcements uh, just before we begin. Uh, one is, so it's probably obvious because... Um, because when we dismissed kids to children's ministry, about half the church uh, went to the back. Um, but wanted to let you know, be aware of a growing need in the church, and that is we actually need uh, a few more hands in our children's ministry. So um, there's just a size issue. There's just a need. We have a lot of kids, which is really, I love that there's a lot of kids here. Um, but the kids have needs uh, with being there with the back. So um, there really is just a need uh, in our children's ministry right now. Um, but beyond just the need... Um, Really, to me, what we do in children's ministry each and every week, it, it's core to our mission as a church, right? So it's core to that fulfillment of, of Psalm 78, right, of one generation declaring the wondrous deeds of the Lord to the next generation and passing on the message that we've received and passing it on to the next generation. It's just so critical and so central to who we are and what we're about as a church. So, so to me, it, it's not just that there's a need in a practical way. It's just central to what our mission is as a church. And to me, I... I don't say this with any hyperbole. To me, children's ministry is one of the most exciting ministries that we have as a church. So to be able to, to be entrusted by parents of the church, to be able to, to communicate to their children the most glorious truths in all of, in all of existence, to me, is just a wonderful privilege. And so it, it's exciting to me that the work that goes on there. To, every week when we gather, there, there's, there's non-Christians that come in. The largest number of non-Christians that come with us every week are in the back, and to be able to declare the gospel to them each and every week, is, it really is just a privilege. So I would encourage you, I, we're a small church, everybody serves in a lot of ways, so this isn't trying to put the guilt trip on you and like, okay, you're on nine teams, be on team number 10, but if you think you'd have a chance to, I think we can get back there about once a month, then, then talk to Alan, talk to Lauren, uh, if you don't know who they are, talk to me, and we can kind of make sure you you know, we'll get through all the, the logistics and, you know, how we do all the safety and procedures and all that kind of stuff. But uh, there's a need, but more than a need, I think there's just a real opportunity to really just invest in the next generation. And one of the particular needs is if you are somebody who, who is here, who's, who's on the younger side, but too old for children's ministry, um, we want to let you know you're needed in children's ministry. So if you're too old for children's ministry, but your talk to your parents, talk to your mom and dad, but if you but we want some just extra hands. We have a lot of like, like babies and toddlers and that kind of age range. And so you would be a big help in our children's ministry and just your, your energy and your joy would be particularly helpful and needed. So this is kind of an all ages uh, kind of request for some help in children's ministry. So um, heard that. So if you have uh, any questions, you can talk to me and then I'm gonna tell you to talk to Alan or talk to Lauren. So you can save the step um, and talk directly to them. Um, but if you're scared of them, talk to me, and I'll, I'll come up with you. Um, all right, so also want to let you uh, be aware uh, that uh, starting next week, so starting next Sunday, we're going to give you more details because we still don't know all the details yet, um, but um, we're going to be having some masks use back on Sunday mornings for our, our gatherings here on Sunday. So again, we'll get you all the details as we know, but our landlord has basically strongly asked us to begin doing masks again, uh, just with the latest variants and all the stuff going on with COVID. So uh, really, out of a couple reasons, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to be bringing masks back. Um, one is just out of respect for them, and just this is their property, and we want to be respectful of, of the rules that they're putting down and just be respectful of, hey, what are, what are their preferences, what are their decisions on this, as they've kind of kept up with all the 
all these guidelines are changing all the time. So just out of respect for them, we want to do it. But I really do think as a church, I, I don't think it's anybody's preference to wear a mask, right? I don't know of anybody that I've talked to who's like, yeah, I'm really hoping we can bring that back again because that was a, a wonderful fashion trend. But, um, but I, I do think it really does communicate to our community and to those who come in that maybe don't know us. Uh, just I think it communicates care that we want to protect the most vulnerable, that we want to be loving to the most vulnerable in our society. So, so while it's no one's preference, I think laying down our preferences for the sake of others it's sort of, it's part of that Christian ethic, isn't it? And so just we want to embrace that. So we'll give you details over email this week. Uh, Michelle is now finding out that she's going to be sending out an email this week with kind of the, the latest emails, or she might not be finding out because she's in the back. So um, someone will tell her she'll send out an email this week. Um, once we kind of get all the, okay, what, you know, all the different rules, but just to let you kind of have a heads up of, of what's going to be going on with that next week. And here's what we're going to do is to kind of make it fun. I'm going to arbitrarily award um, based on, so I'll be the only judge, but uh, whoever has the coolest mask gets a prize. So I don't know what the prize will be, but it'll be a good one. It'll be a fun one. So if you want to come like full Stormtrooper gear, which um, Stormtrooper is a uh, dated 80s reference from my youth, but if you want to bring it like wear a full Stormtrooper outfit, go for it. But whatever the most creative mask is, whatever the most fun mask is, there's a special prize and it's a good one. So... Um, so we'll go from there. And it's so good. I'm, I mean, I know what it is. I'm just, you know, um, wanting you to be in anticipation. All right. I'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 as we continue our series uh, through this letter. But last year, um, I had a friend who was right. So right when COVID was a thing, but it wasn't like the thing that started, you know, to dominate even as we're hearing about masks, like even into the present day. So right when things were like, you know, like at that breaking point last March, we had a friend who, who was traveling to Europe. And so, uh, and we were following the trip closely because they were our friends, but you know, just everything going on in the world, we were kind of like just following the step-by-step with them. And so literally on the flight, so they're, they're halfway to flying into London, the president announces there's now a travel ban coming from the United Kingdom. So right where they're landing. And so this happens mid-flight. The, the pilot makes a, a, a speaker, because you know, people are getting word of this on their phones and stuff in the plane. So the pilot announces, hey, the president has just announced a travel ban, you know, from, um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to land, and then we don't know what we're going to do. I mean, it was just one of these, like, they just, uh, we, we have no idea what's going on, but we're going to figure it out with you, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, the, so they land in London, and, you know, we're, we're texting him. He's like, what's going on? He's like, yeah, I mean, we're talking to all these people who are like, hey, we're promising to help you. We're going to see you through but we don't really know what's going on either. So they're just finding themselves in a situation where it's like, yeah, and he basically just at the end of the day, like, I don't care about the trip. I don't care about like, what do we do? We just kind of want to find a way to get back home. They have kids, you know, who are panicking, you know, all this kind of stuff. But we have no idea how to get there. And we have no idea who's going to even help us figure out a way home. And spoiler alert, they're not still there. They, they, they eventually made their way back. But, but they just found themselves in this desperate situation and unable to help themselves. And just sort of like, we, we have no idea who we can even who we can even go to. You know, I don't know if you ever found yourself in a situation like this, where it's not just a bad situation, but it's like, I have no idea how I'm supposed to get out of this. I have no idea, like, even who I'm supposed to talk to, whatever, like, I'm just in a bad situation, and I'm completely upon, dependent on somebody else to get me out. Well, that pales in comparison to the situation humanity finds itself in, that humanity, all of humanity, finds itself in a terrible situation, and it's a situation far worse than being stuck in Europe. It's a situation far worse than, than they realize. They face a danger more real and more imminent than they are aware. 
And though humanity and all of humanity finds themselves in that situation, those of us who are believers live with a future, and all of humanity is offered a future that is more glorious than we can even imagine. Because God is the one who brings a solution for man's problems. A danger is solved and the future is secured because of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. And so last week we looked at the dominion of Christ over everything, over eternity, over creation, over the church. And so verses 15 through 18 are about, the, about just the, the glorious Christ and the preeminence of Christ. In our passage this morning in verses 19 through 23, we see this glorious Christ offering to mankind a glorious reconciliation. But for us to really, I think, fully appreciate what's going on in this passage, we, not, we, just see, we need to see this passage not just as sort of something that's not just true or a reconciliation that, that's a one-time event, but the, but the reconciliation that, that Paul's writing to, to about Christ here in these passages is of daily importance. It's a, it doesn't just affect our relationship with God on a grand scale, but it affects all of our relationships with one another at a daily level. And so Christ is supreme overall, and He offers a supreme reconciliation. So for that, let's look at verses 19 through 23 of Colossians chapter 1. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we're going to be looking at this theme of reconciliation this morning. We're going to be looking at six, six aspects of reconciliation this morning. And so first point we're going to look at is reconciliation needed. Reconciliation needed. All right, so I'm using the word reconcile. I'm using the word reconciliation. That's the word verse 20 uses. But I don't want to assume that we all know what reconciliation means or what it means to reconcile, right? So reconciliation is this idea of, of bringing peace between two parties. But it's not just peace like they, they, they just stop fighting, but, but it's an act of peace. It, what reconciliation is really unity and oneness. It's more than just sort of, you know, no, no, more fi- you know, no more shots being fired, but it's unity and oneness. You know, I was... I was one of four boys, well, I still am one of four boys, but growing up, you know, we were a household of four boys, and we were, we were active, and we, we were, you know, we were very physical, and so we, we, every day we just did sports, and it was never, re- it never really got into a scenario where it would lead to active fighting, but I could imagine a scenario where we would fight every single day over every single pitch, over every single inning, um, and, and there was just this, like, there was, there was one thing for my parents to be like, okay, just, just stop fighting, right? I mean, we, we heard that a lot, like, just... So what we, we heard, I mean, we heard this a lot, like, stop kicking your brother. And then, and we just, like, that was kind of like an echo, because we had one of my brothers kicked. And then, but one time, my dad was like, stop kicking Adam, he whines about it too much. So that was kind of like the, the parental advice, was just, just stop doing this. I don't want to hear him complain about how you're kicking him. I mean, there's just like this sort of, like, we just grew up in that kind of household, right? You just fought, and then you, you got over it, and then you keep playing. But there's, there's, there's a difference, right, between sort of stop fighting, like stop kicking him, right? And there's a difference between that and actual reconciliation. 
and forgiveness and bringing unity and forgiving and paying the cost of like, oh yeah, I want to do the hard work of actually like, you know, making things right, making right out of the situation, of not holding it against the person, of not starting the next moment with this person with they already have two strikes against them because of, you know, what just happened, but actual forgiveness, right? There's a difference between stop fighting and actual peace. Verse 20 informs us what Jesus brought is is, is actual reconciliation. He brought peace and relationship and unity and closeness. But in order for that to happen, we have to recognize there was first a conflict. There wasn't just disorder. There wasn't just two sides that were out of sync with each other. And I guess a little skirmish happened. So it informs us that two parties were at odds with each other, but only one side was in the wrong. So verse 21 informs us that we were alienated, we were hostile in mind, and we were doing evil deeds. Our situation was dark. Humanity's situation was dark. Each of our personal situations was dark, and it grew worse every day. Our situation was that every day we grew in more and more hostility towards him, that we, kinda, we got more deeply entrenched in our position against the Lord. We were, we were alienated, which means we were enemies. We were opposed to God. We weren't good people having a bad moment. We were, we were alienated. We were hostile in mind. Our, our thoughts were against him. We were positioned against God. He defines us as doing evil deeds. Now, the way the Bible would describe someone who does evil deeds in this sense isn't not a few evil deeds that we sort of did on a bad day, but sort of it marked us. Doing evil deeds is what marked us and defined us. Basically, maybe we had a few good moments, but we were people who did evil deeds was who we were. We were at war with a holy, sovereign God who must bring justice. And so because of man's sin, all creation was out of order. All creation was upside down. All humanity was. Each of us was. Our situation was dire. And there wasn't a thing we could do about it. We couldn't pay the debt owed. We were incapable of doing enough good deeds because we were those who did evil deeds. We were those who aggrieved the holy God when we were helpless and we were without excuse. Which makes the next aspect of reconciliation even more amazing. So the second thing we see is reconciliation's joy. Reconciliation's joy. So it says this again in verse 19 and 24, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth. So these verses, right, say that, that in Christ the fullness of God, what was the word, was pleased to dwell Okay, so we have that, right? that's passage, we all know, all right, so in, in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased as well, but then it says, but the purpose of him coming as a man, the purpose of him dwelling in the form of a man was to reconcile to himself all things. So, so we're making some travel plans as a family next year for some, with some friends of ours that we're looking to travel with. We we're going to travel last year, and then COVID, and then we we're going to travel this year, but, you know, we had some life changes happen this year. So we're looking at next year, and we're kind of planning this trip with them, and it's really fun to kind of plan this trip. It's really fun to kind of look forward to, oh, where are we going to go, and what are we going to do, and kind of, you know, all the stuff we're going to do on this trip, right? Like, to me, it's fun. When I think about this trip, like, it's like, I'm pleased to think about this trip. I'm, I'm pleased to kind of think about this time with friends. and th- I, I kind of have an aspect of, uh, I'm pleased to do this, right? Like, I'm, I'm pleased to eat a dessert after, like, well, at any time of day, but after a good meal, like, I'm pleased to eat a dessert, right? Like, that, that's something I like. Like, I'm pleased to read a good book, right? Like, I get the idea of finding something I'm doing, like, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to do this, right? 
This isn't that when Jesus came into the form of a man, like, oh, I'm, I'm pleased to kind of come down to earth and do this. This is the holy, creator, perfect God being born in a stable, breathing dirty air, being around sinful people, being wrong, being murdered, being wrongly judged, being assaulted. This is the highest. This is one who is worthy of all the glory of heaven, being made very low, suffering the ultimate pain and humiliation. And this verse says, and he was pleased. Now, he was pleased because his heart is to reconcile all things to himself on heaven or on earth. He wasn't, he wasn't pleased because, you know, coming down to earth in the form of man, that's just going to be a cool experience. Like, that's a bucket list kind of idea. No, that, that's not what he was pleased about. He wasn't doing something pleasurable. This was unimaginable pain and undeserved torment, scoffing by the sinful, mocking by the ones he came to save. But he says he was pleased to dwell in order that he would reconcile. Do, do, do you hear the heart of God in this passage? Right? He isn't the one who wronged us. There weren't two sides, and he's doing what he could to meet us, and hopefully we'll do, like, we'll do our half. This wasn't two sides, each with a little bit of wrong. This was the wronged one, the aggrieved one, suffering to reconcile sinners to himself. I mean, it really boggles him. Like, how, how could he be pleased to do this? Like, how, how, how is that the word that, that, that he is using? I think the best I, I can sort of see in an earthly example is several years ago, we had a, a family friend who, who, who passed away from ALS. And so for about 10 years before he passed away, he, he really battled with the deteriorating disease of, of ALS. And so slowly his body, you know, just... just lose more and more control of his body and more and more functionality and 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 his wife just more and more just took care of him took care of him and just all the things that that she just had to grow in responsibility for and just really full-time caretaker to take care of our friend doug and and when we were just talking to her you know just you know just thanking her for you know all the work she's been doing and just not just for doing the work but seemingly having a joy about her as she did the work and just you know and just talking to her about it. She's like, you know, yeah, the work's painful. Of course, it's this is the hardest stuff in the world to do. But Dougie's worth it. I mean, there's just this heart of like, Doug's worth it. Doug's worth doing all this. I love Doug, so, so, so I'm doing all this work, right? And Jesus didn't love coming as a man and suffering, but he loved those who he would reconcile. He loved the result of his coming. He loved the mission and the purpose. So in that sense, he was pleased to come. So what we see here is reconciliation is central to the heart of God. That God doesn't just have a, a theory of reconciliation of, oh, yeah, that, that would be a cool thing to do. He, he had those who he wanted to reconcile to himself. And so he was pleased to come after them. Third thing we see in this passage is reconciliation's method reconciliation's method. Verse 20 says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In verse 22, it says, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In order to reconcile man and God, God had to himself pay the price for reconciliation to happen. And in the cross of Jesus Christ, he reconciled us to himself. Sin against a holy God requires the death of a sinner, 
but rather than the death of a sinner, Jesus died in the place of sinners in order that they would be reconciled to him. So a couple of notes just from this idea. First is that our sin, your sin and my sin, required nothing less than the Son of God. That's how great our injustice and inequity was. That's how, that, that, that's how offensive our sin is. That's how offensive our iniquity is, is that it required nothing short than, than God sending His Son to die for us. There is nothing small about our sin. There is nothing short, nothing short of the eternal God of all glory taking the form of a man and dying a painful and humiliating death would have been sufficient to cover our sin. That, that's, how, that's how grievous our sin is. We also need to note that reconciliation is painful. It's, it's a happy word, right? Reconcil- oh, we love reconciliation. We love when two sides come together. But it's a painful process. To reconcile, someone has to pay a price. In our situation, before the Lord, the wronged one paid the price. He absorbed all the wrong and all the penalty and all the pain. But but reconciliation is not revenge. And so in our own lives, when we we are called to reconcile with people, we will often have to endure the pain. Not just the pain of whatever the original offense was, but enduring the fact. But but, but to endure with, with, with sinners means we... And to have relationships with active sinners, it's costly. It hurts. In, in marriage, it means we, we give trust to a person, real trust, the deepest of trusts, even though at some level we've, we've probably been those who have broken that trust. And to, to, to have somebody that has broken trust, and yet we trust again in, in families to, to endure pain because we, we lean into relationships. And Listen, reconciliation is wonderful, but, but forgiveness and relationship is really, really costly. In real life, we will often have to pay the cost. In personal reconciliation, we are often called to pay the cost towards others. Recognize, listen, Jesus' blood is not just sufficient for us, but those who sin against us. So we can reconcile. Now, we can reconcile not out of our great self-will because there's been an overflow of love being poured out to us because of the reconciliation of God to us through Jesus Christ. There's just an overflow of love being poured out and poured out into us. And so, listen, it's out of that overflow that we can then have enough strength and grace to go and offer reconciliation to others. But even though it's out of an overflow of what he has already done, reconciliation hurts and it's costly and it often involves us paying a price. So just recognize that reconciliation is a painful process. Fourth, fourth thing we see in this passage is reconciliation's purpose. Reconciliation's purpose. Verse 22, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. So here's why it says in verse 22 that God has reconciled you to himself. Verse 22, it says, in order to present you, you who in your natural state are sinful, who are fully to blame, who are guilty, who are alienated from God, in order to present you, I mean, it would be amazing if it says, in order to present you as forgiven, just to, to, announce, just to present you as found not guilty, that, that would be amazing, Right? But here's what it says. No, he presents you as holy and blameless and above reproach. Not just he finds you not guilty. Hey, he's going to let you in. There was an administrative. He he overlooked an administrative error in heaven. He's good. But here's how it presents you. Holy, 
above reproach, without blame, that when we are reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, that we are these things. That if you are in Jesus Christ, you have his active record of perfection, his holy character, his rightful standing before God is credited to you. And so he did these things. He reconciled to you to him so that you could be these things, not just before one another, not just so that before fellow man we'd be above reproach, but before God, these things would be true of us so that we could be in right relationship with him. Because God so desires a relationship with his people, he wants us to stand before God and be above reproach so that we can, so we can enter the kingdom. So he, he, not, he, he just doesn't make a bridge across his infinite gap. He closes the entire chasm so that we could have right relationship with him. And as a result of this re- reconciliation, we have relationship, true and living and active relationship with the living God. We are being made holy. We are being progressively made more into what our true identity is, which is holy and above reproach before him. And one day, we, he will complete the work that he begins, but even now, he progressively makes us more and more into that. And so holiness is our status, and holiness is our destination. And so as believers, holiness is is to be our life's work because with Him is our status and with Him is our destination. The thing we see is reconciliation's result. Reconciliation's result, look again at verse 22 and 23. He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So one of the things we see here is that there is a condition to, of one being confident in this reconciliation, right? That in order for us to be confident in it, there, there's a condition that we're given. It's sort of like, ah, here's the catch, right? Everything seemed pretty good, and now here's the catch. He says, if indeed, basically you... You've got to do something. You've got to remain steadfast, not shifting. You need to recognize that Christianity isn't, hey, say a prayer and that's it. You're good to go. That's not what Christianity teaches. Christianity is an active, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that, if you don't have this active relationship with Christ, this growing relationship with Christ, if you sort of turn to Christ once and just go your own way, you should not have confidence in your status of reconciled. That, that reconciliation, it's not, just a, it's not just a declaration, but it's this, it's this new reality. It's this new way we walk as we are those who are reconciled, and so we walk in reconciliation. So there, there's a warning in this passage. There's a warning that Paul is giving in this passage that, in a sense, you must keep walking, you must keep going, you must stay firm and steady. But the tone of Paul so because the warning is there, but the tone of Paul is not written in this stern, you know what? If you check all these boxes, okay, here's the way you stay in his sort of, okay, yep, here's what he's did, but here's what you've got to do. And if you check every box, but there's no way you're going to make it. There's no way you're going to make it. Like, just sure, like, if you do this, like, these are some huge ifs you've got to cross through first. Like, if you do this, if you, that's not Paul saying. He's saying, listen, if indeed you do, but his point is more this, if indeed you keep walking, and of course you will, because he's reconciled you. So if he's reconciled you, then... Of course you're going to walk in that. So, so Paul, even in the warning, he's giving comfort to his people. It, you you got to do it. But if you've been reconciled with God, of course you're going to do it. So this isn't like prove it. This is Paul saying, listen, I'm confident. 
He's going to complete the work he began. I'm confident that the work he began, he's going to continue. So, so walk in it. Walk in it like he's going to continue it. So keep walking ahead like God's going to continue to work in you as you keep taking steps ahead. See, the result Paul has here is that, of course, as you walk forward, you're going to walk more and more in holiness. The, pur- that, that the purpose is for relationship. The purpose is for holiness. And God is going to do that. Because Paul's not saying, listen, you need to remain perfect. Paul's not sort of now taking all of our hope off of what Christ has done and placing it only on ourselves and sort of saying, if, okay, your hope is that you never stumble. But what's he saying? If you continue to place your hope, your direction, your aim towards the gospel, if you continue to hope in him, not if you're hoping what you'll do for God, but what he has accomplished for you, if you continue to put your hope there and recognize, listen, the, the hope of the gospel is not just hope, it's surety, it's certainty. Just keep trusting. Don't turn reconciliation into, okay, now here's all the things that I'm doing for God, but here's all, I'm, I'm just going to continue to remind myself of what God has done for me, and I'm just going to continue to walk forward and recognizing that reconciliation has begun by God, and it will be fulfilled by God because it has been made certain in Christ. And so it's this, it's this warning of you, you need to keep going, but, but Paul's saying, but of course you will. You're one of his. Sixth aspect we see of reconciliation is reconciliation's God. Reconciliation's God. Throughout this entire passage, one thing becomes quite clear, isn't it? Reconciliation is at the heart of God. He came to reconcile us to him. He came to present us as holy so that we'd be in relationship with him. He sent his son to die on a cross. The son stepped down from glory with joy to reconcile. The heart of God is reconciliation. He's the only one able to reconcile, and he does so because he delights to reconcile man to himself. It's, this passage is, makes it very clear. It's not just sort of he happens to do reconciliation on earth and sort of he happens to do this. Like, almost like, hey, if, you're, if, if I go to the store later on and M texts me, hey, hey, pick up some milk wire there, right? Like, you're already there. Why don't you pick up this? Like, we'll get that, and then, and then we'll be good. That, that's, it's not, hey, hey, Jesus, go to earth. While you're there, reconcile all things to us. Okay, we're good. Okay, yep, let's check that off the list. This, this is the heart and the purpose for which he came because it's the heart of who he is. Man falls and God loves and God pursues and God reconciles. He loves his people and he will stop at nothing to win them back to himself. He loves you and will stop at nothing to win you back to himself. Not just one time in history, but God is a pursuing and reconciling God. So, very simple, two two thoughts towards application. Number one is this. Make sure you are reconciled with God. He has done all, he has done all that is necessary to make us reconciled with him. He could not pay a higher price. He could not, He could not have done any more to reconcile us to himself than he's already done. He paid the ultimate price and he invites you into his reconciling work, but you must be reconciled. The cross proves the length that he has gone, but the cross also proves that God is holy and justice is necessary. He offers to you reconciliation at Calvary. But if you reject it, there is no other way to stand before him. 
And only a fool would, would, would sit in church and just assume, because I'm sitting in a room, because I know other Christians, because I'm around other Christians, I, I'm good. Listen, you must be reconciled to God. Second thought towards application is, and we must be reconciled towards one another. Listen, if we have been reconciled with God, then it's not just that we happen to, again, have this one-time event of something that happened. We, yep, check the box, we're reconciled with God, but it's now this, this new governing reality has set in over our life that we are no longer those who war with God and with other people, but we are those, we are a people of peace. We have a power to reconcile. We have a, we have a, we, which we have a, a reconciling love that has been poured into us and is being poured into us on a daily basis of, over which there is just an overflow of reconciling love being poured into us that we now have the power to be reconciled with our fellow man. Listen, his reconciliation changes everything. It doesn't just change our relationship with him. It must change our relationships with fellow man. And so very simple, is, is there someone you need to reconcile with? If there is a relationship in your life where, just, where there have been years of hurt and just walls of unforgiveness that have built up, or maybe you're just on your way in this morning and in your car had, had one of those moments with your spouse or with your kids, or maybe you just have a relationship somewhere in between, we need to recognize that re reconciliation is not a, and us walking in it, us being about reconciliation is not a small matter to God. It's not incidental to what he happens to care about for his purposes on earth or just incidental of what he enables us to do. We must be reconciled with God and we must walk in reconciliation with our fellow man. Not because no one's going to sin against us, but because the perfect Son of God bore the cost of our reconciliation so that we can be reconciled and so that we can be reconcilers towards others, that we can walk in unity not just with God but with one another. And as we walk in reconciliation with one another, with, with those in this room, with those in our homes, with those in just community and family around us, we recognize rec reconciliation is costly, but as we are aware and transformed by the love that has led to our reconciliation and that, that, this, that what, what has led to our reconciliation is, is, is this daily love being poured into us more and more and more, that we can, out of that overflow, be reconciled to others, that it is central to God's heart, it is central to our identity, we must be reconciled with one another. And so let me just say, if there is, if there is someone that you have unreconciliation with, take the next step with that person. Take, take the first step with that person. That if, if, if you just have maybe some bitterness and unforgiveness that's been under the surface with your spouse, just to, to take the first step. Listen, you, you can't force the other person's response. You can't force the other person to be reconciled to you. But you can take a step. You can move in that direction. You can keep moving in that direction. You can keep walking towards reconciliation. So let me encourage you, if, if you have a relationship, whether it be a, a small thing on the way in to just years of just, just disunity with a person, to move towards reconciliation, because we have a glorious reconciliation, because we have a glorious Christ. And so let us be a people that walk in the good of that. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your amazing grace that has 
reconciled the holy God with sinful men and women. Lord, we be those who are not just reconciled to you, though, Lord, if there is anyone here who does not know you, who has never been reconciled with you, Lord, would you, would you, make, would you reconcile the relationship even this morning? Lord, would they place their trust in what you have accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ for them? But, Lord, we be those who walk in reconciliation in our relationships. Would we be those who extend mercy and forgiveness, who pay the cost? Lord, we those who, while sin would, and Satan would attempt to build up walls, that the walls come down because of the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for every marriage in this room. Would there be, would there be no marriage where, where bitterness lingers and unforgiveness lingers, but Lord, would every marriage here be marked by genuine and deep and true reconciliation with one another, we pray. Pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.